If you're going to bring the gospel to people, and if you consider yourself a Christian, that is your calling. If you do it, you'll have to bring people before their sin and judgment before you can rightly bring them before God's free salvation in Jesus Christ. Welcome to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, The Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work in taking the gospel around the world, go to traincpe.org. And to learn about our local fellowship, go to breadoflifeboise.org. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the director of CPE, and I'm your Bible teacher. We're in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And Paul is sharing with us the protest he has received by a religious Jew who is coming under conviction. That individual evokes God's attributes. God, he says, has spoken promises to us that he can't break. God is faithful even though some of us are not faithful. God is righteous and our unrighteousness only magnifies this. God is true and gets glory even from my little lie. There is his line of reasoning. Today we note the manner in which Paul answers this man's protest and the pattern that we ourselves must recognize so that we can bring the gospel to the man under conviction. His protest is an assertion about God before some general principle or some general idea of a covenant. Why be in this covenant with God? Second, he makes an assertion of God's faithfulness, but it's cast against the idea of some individual who might not be faithful, right? Just because some are not faithful, that doesn't mean God is not going to be faithful. Then his next assertion is an assertion of God's righteousness in light of our unrighteousness. God is righteous if we're unrighteous. And that demonstrates that God is righteous. And then finally, in his final assertion, the conviction tightens down to God's truth before my lie. General idea, you know, general principle. Then, well, some who are unfaithful. And then, well, our unrighteousness. And then, my lie. He stops with my lie. What's the good of being an Israelite? What if some among us are unfaithful? What if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God? What if my lie magnifies his truth? And there it is. Below all the logic, below all the argumentation, below all the rationalization, There lies this one thing, my lie, my guilt, my sin. Paul's let it become exposed. He's let him state his declarations. He's let him carry out his arguments. He's dialogued with him and he's just listened to him. And as he's listening to the man is exposing himself. The man is actually drawing down to the very thing Paul started with. You're a sinner. You're before God's judgment. So having said all that and having looked at this, let's make some applications. Here's the first application to this. I want you to note that Paul listens and concedes to the truth regarding God that the person introduces, but that Paul never pits one thing that is true about God against another thing that is true about God. He doesn't get distracted from this one important truth that he wants to communicate about God. God is a righteous judge, and he's going to hold you to account. If you don't understand anything else about God, What you need to know is what your future holds is a day in which you will stand before him and he will judge you in righteousness because he's a righteous judge. He doesn't release that person from that thought or that idea. He'll listen. He'll take what the person says because in some wonderful way, the truth is even in this man's desperation, he's revealing that he's been suppressing something he knew about God all along. 
He knew that God was a God who had spoken. He knew that God was a God who was faithful to his word. He knew that God was righteous. He knew that God was true. He knew that God was to be glorified. He hasn't followed in that pathway. He hasn't pursued those things. But he's demonstrating what he was suppressing all along. It's coming out in the conversation. And Paul, very gently and very graciously in a sense, holds him to those things. He doesn't let any slack form in the line. He keeps a gentle, taut line on the conviction and the very point that he's trying to make. So often when we speak to individuals because we want to curry their favor, if they get frustrated, they get angry and they throw their emotion at us, we retreat from the position that they need to know. Well, you know, and we, we hold back from it and Paul doesn't do that. As they're making their complaints, as they're running away, he's giving them a little bit of line. As they're running towards him, he's pulling in the line taunt because he wants to hold them before this truth, this reality that this God who is a God who speaks and a God who is faithful and a God who is righteous and a God who is true and a God is to be glorified is the God you're going to stand before in judgment. And you're going to have to answer to him. He doesn't release them from those things. Too often, too often, we release people when they start to fight or they put up their fight and we don't want to seem harsh. And No, we just have to gently keep holding to the lines of what we're saying, what's true and what they need to know. And we have to be convinced of this. Paul is giving us the pattern of which he shares the gospel. You cannot bring a person before the gospel unless they understand and comprehend their sin and that there's no response or no answer for them before God other than judgment than through the gospel of Jesus Christ in which he's provided a sacrifice for their sins. Not a thing that they can do. No work that they can provide. This individual, by the way, is demonstrating two things. He knows he's a sinner, but in the last statement, why should I not continue going on sinning? If I can't make myself righteous by my own efforts, then I'll just sin instead. And so he tells you the two things. that he's, One is he wants to follow his vices and he wants to follow his sin. And the other thing in human nature is he wants to prove himself righteous on his own without God. He's revealing his position. He's standing before God and what he's going to be judged for. He's going to be judged for his sin and he's also going to be judged because he refused God's way of righteousness as he tried to establish his own righteousness before God. So don't give anyone a way out other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing. Paul is not giving up. The resistance that Paul faces here, that he's faced with the moralist and now he's facing with the religious Jew, does not cause Paul to abandon the individual as a lost cause. The Lord Jesus told his disciples, he sent them out two by two, that if they were to go to home and the home wouldn't receive him, that they could take their sandals and they could knock the dust off the sandal of their feet in front of that house. Say, well, they had an opportunity. We, in our generation, anticipate the rebuttals and the resistance we're going to meet. And so before we even engage the individual, we just knock the dust off our feet. Well, no one's going to listen and... You know, we live in this modern age in which this intellectual world where people think they're so smart and they've got all kinds of arguments they pose against God and so as a result, it's too hard to reach them and we don't even try. And Here's the interesting thing. There's nothing new under the sun. The arguments that you face today, the very arguments you face today, in every place, Paul was facing on a regular basis. He didn't give up. He didn't draw back. He continued to pursue them. He didn't throw in the towel in the face of the resistance. He didn't back off. What does he do? He keeps engaging him. This is the kind of conversation that he met with. And he was willing to risk it and to engage it and to face the opposition in order that he might leave truth behind that would continue to speak in the life of that individual. And the wonderful thing that I think kept Paul from doing this is he knew this. In the middle of all these things, 
He could hear that this person was convicted by their sins. He could hear that this person did have some understanding of God. And he knew that this conviction of sin and this understanding of God was something that he could not comprehend if the Spirit of God himself was not already speaking in that person's life. God was speaking. God was working. God was putting pressure on that man. And I'll speak too. And I'll be faithful. God was working through what he said. And even if they seemed to be putting up a resistance, he knew. By the way, you don't know, you never know where a person is when you're engaging them in the gospel. You might meet a person and they just seem so willing, they're about ready to fall in your lap. It's just a passive resistance. They're not responding. They're resisting. Their heart is not turned. You find another person that's just resisting, giving you grief and is accusing you of things and libeling God and you think, oh, this person is just lost. And yeah, they're lost, but they're coming. God is drawing them. You don't know. And so Paul is just faithful in pronouncing these truths, knowing that God is speaking. Here's a third thing for us. You should be able to recognize the scrambling to get away from a convicting truth. You should be able to recognize it. Even if you've not faced it in a conversation with others that you're witnessing to, even if you've not seen it in some conversation you've had with others, you'll see it there. You've heard this conversation in your own head as God has begun to convict you of your own sins. When God does, you know what we do? We usually come up with a generic idea, a generic argument. Well, there's nothing really wrong with what I've done, and if you really consider this in the light of where the world is going and what I was facing, and you know, we begin making these general excuses for ourselves. And then the next thing we say is we get really hypothetical. Well, what if someone does behave in that way? Is it really wrong? And we come up with hypotheticals. We cast it upon somebody else, something that we are doing, but somebody else might have been doing it. Let's really consider this. And then, and then finally we say, well, of course, everybody does these things. I mean, like, this is our unrighteousness, and that's our struggle, but we're only human. Let's not be too hard on ourselves. And then finally, when the conviction continues to come into us so that we know that it's our sin, what if I did lie? What if I did steal? What if I did abuse? What if I did cheat? What if I fill in the blank? Fill in the blank where God is convicting you. Can't God be glorified regardless? Must the world stop because of my sin? Move along. Nothing to see here. I've seen it in conversations with people when I shared the gospel with them. I've seen it more often. The dialogue in my own head is the Spirit of God is contending with me showing me my failure, showing my sin. and Even though I'm a child of the gospel, it's given to me through Jesus Christ alone, there is in my flesh this default that runs away from the gospel to my own self-justification, just like the lost man that God sent me to speak to. May God not let me ever off the hook. May he keep taught the lines of conviction in my life so that he might constantly move me into his gospel. There's no answer for myself in any point of conviction by minimizing it, by laying it off on some theoretical idea, by laying it off on some hypothetical situation for somebody else, by laying it off in the mass and dilute it in the mass of everybody else is doing it, by laying it off by saying, well, yeah, I was wrong, but God worked good things out of it. God will get his glory in him. There's no benefit for me in any of those things. There's only gospel for me in the place in which I 
come to an end of my self-justifying rationalisms. There's only a benefit for me when I come to the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for my sins in order to wash me and make me clean. And so I must let the Spirit take me honestly before the face of God and there before His face see my sin, confess my need, fully, completely, and utterly surrender to Him. In that moment, I embrace the cleansing that He's provided for me alone through Himself. In that moment, I realize the freedom and the life that comes to me through Jesus Christ and His gospel. And in that moment, I will want above everything else that others might know this freedom too. Which might mean that I have to face them when they offer the same resistance to the truth that I so often give myself before God. You need to be faithful in these things. You need to recognize these things and see these things. I see this passage as a passage that gives a tremendous point of wisdom for how we engage our children, how we engage our loved ones, how we engage our neighbor and our friend, the very points of pressure that we need to keep on in order to bring them to the gospel and wisdom in how we preach the gospel to ourselves and engage ourselves without excuse, keeping tight the line of God's conviction until we're completely reeled in to the gospel of Jesus Christ where His blood washes us from every sin. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. Go to traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.